If you have a Bible there, which you're going to need a Bible, until we get savvy enough to where we can have it on the screen there in your house or on your tablet, you need to get you a Bible so that you can be able to follow along. Um, because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, to hear the truth of the Scriptures. Look, if all you want to do is hear me, I'm not eloquent enough, I'm not wise enough, I don't have enough to say that would justify you wasting an hour every week of your life, especially on what could very be a, a wonderful day off. However... It's worth all the time that you could spend and then more to hear from God, from His Holy Scriptures. And that's what we've been doing. We've been hopefully listening, learning about what God had to say to the Christians in Ephesus and to the Christians who are all over the world. Paul, when he writes the book of Ephesians, is most likely imprisoned in Rome for... Um, for spreading the good news. So just give you a background um, as we move into chapter 3 of Ephesians. The first line of this says, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. Now if you don't remember, or maybe you've never heard, Paul was at one time a very zealous Jewish person. And he happened to also be a citizen of the Roman Empire because his father was a citizen of Rome. So he was a very unique man who, who had his leg or his feet in both worlds. He was Jewish, very zealous, very much trained as a Pharisee, but he was also a Roman citizen. And he had chosen as a young man to really pursue passionately. We've seen um, the desires of the Jewish people. He had, however, a dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road and ultimately turns his life around. And so he sees his special calling, and we're going to look at that in the Scriptures, is to, to share with the Gentiles, those who are non-Jews, this message of Jesus Christ. Now, because of his role in doing this, as he moves throughout the Roman Empire to the different provinces, he tends to cause problems amongst the Jewish people who were there. And so that's recorded in the book of Acts. And if you want to go back and read that, I would encourage you to do that. But Paul is not well liked by many of the Jewish people because he begins to convert people and tell them the truth. And that's that's true today. Listen, when people are bound up in darkness and they don't want to see the light, they will reject and fight against the truth. Even as something as simple as when you first wake up, do you like somebody to come in there and flip the lights on you? No, you don't like that. Why? Because you, you're still accustomed to darkness. Well, that's that was really what was going on in the world and unfortunately still going on today. But Paul, he came in and he flipped the light on and said, what y'all were doing is not what you need to be doing. And as a result, it created conflict and ultimately... It led him to be imprisoned. He wanted to broaden his appeal. You know, they didn't have extra likes and clicks and all that back in that day. So he he called to go to Rome, which is what a Roman citizen can do. He wanted to have his trial in Rome. And as a result of that, he gets to move on a trip through different provinces to get there. And while he's there, he's writing this letter in prison. And we've looked over the last several weeks at the first two chapters of Ephesians, but we see here, starting in chapter 3, Paul makes reference to the fact that he's a prisoner. And as we think about today's lesson, there could literally be 20 sermons 
that could come from chapter 3 of Ephesians. So I want to encourage you. This is a chapter that you should read at home, that you should study. There's so many different things. And so I'm going to try to kind of take a shotgun approach today through the first 12 verses because I don't know that y'all want to hear me preach on Ephesians for the next decade. So and if I have to take one verse at a time, it's going to take forever. So I'm going to trust you watching this, those who are here, that you're going to go and read and, and really d- delve into some of this. But, but we're going to look at basically um, six things that we see in this ver- in this set of verses between chapter one, chapter three, starting in verse one, down to verse 13. And they all build on one another, and there's lots of information about those different things. But the first one that I want us to look at is we're going to title point number one is we see here God's prisoner. So Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, the interesting thing here is he wasn't literally a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Who was he a prisoner of? He was a prisoner of the Roman Empire. But Paul did not see the Roman Empire as the authority over him. He saw that there was an authority that stood above Rome, that stood above Caesar. And so Paul says, even though the Roman Romans have me imprisoned, I'm really a prisoner to God. I'm God's prisoner. Now I want you to just think about this for a minute. What if you and I really embrace the idea that all of the things that are happening to us in our lives are really falling under the authority of Jesus Christ and of God our Father. I see people bombarding social media and worried to death about what the human authorities are going to do to them. Listen, friends, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can take complete confidence in what Romans 8, 28, that all things are going to, you know, God is going to work in all things to bring about your good if you're called according to his purpose. And Paul understood that. Is, is it these, these under authorities, while they had the power to cause pain, heartache, suffering, they were really being used by God. He was very literally a prisoner, he says, of Jesus Christ. Now there's a couple of things if you go down through this passage that he says is very interesting. He's a prisoner for who? The benefit of the Gentiles. So he was suffering, and we see that down in verse 13, for the benefit of others. You know, sometimes we suffer for the benefit of others. That's part of our calling. You know, if you listen to some modern praise songs, there's a few of them that, that have this the imagery of how God captures us. And I, I like some of those. You know, we're captured by Him. And really, that's this idea of being God's prisoner. I wonder if you and I as Christians have really embraced this understanding that technically we're really God's prisoners. We surrendered our life to live for Him. And so prisoners have to do what? Prisoners have to go where they're told. They have to do what they're told. You know, you and I don't like to function as God's prisoners, do we? Some of us like to do what? We like on a run, going in the other direction. I mean, we've been supposedly captured by His grace, by His love to serve Him and to, for the benefit of other people. But we don't really want to go in that direction. We want to go and work release the other way and go do what we want to do. And so, but Paul wasn't like that. He really saw himself completely under the sovereignty and the authority of God, even though he was in some really bad situations. Really bad situations. So he sees himself as God's prisoner for the benefit of others. And he even says right here, 
that he has a very special responsibility. And we're going to talk some more about that. So the first thing is God's prisoner. This is Paul who is his prisoner. And then we get really to probably some of the most important part of chapter 3. And I want to read to you, starting in verse 6. He said, and this... Let me go to 4. He says, as you read what I have written, talking about this book, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. So now God's prisoner Paul is talking about in the first couple of verses what he's, his mission is to do, and that's to share God's plan. And that's point number two, God's plan. So, so what is God's plan? He spells it out right here. He says God's plan is that both Jews and Gentiles, those who don't know God, who didn't know God, and those who did know God, who believe in the good news, which we know is what? The gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. God's plan is that everyone who believes in Jesus will share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both of them, the insiders and the outsiders, everyone who chooses to believe in Jesus are part of the same body. They enjoy the promise of blessings, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. Basically, what's the plan? The plan here, Paul says, is the church. This is the plan. He's outlined how God has worked in the past through the Jewish people, through His chosen people. Now He's wanting to bring all the people together, and His plan is the church. Now there's a few words, if you go through and you look at, that, that he uses to describe this plan. The first one is up in verse 3. He says he revealed his mysterious plan. And if you jump down all the way into uh, verse 9, again he calls it this mysterious plan. And, and I think you know there is a little bit of mystery to how the church works. I mean the church is now God's chosen vessel, chosen vehicle for people to come to know Him. And there is a lot of mystery to it. If you read, you know, of how does this work? And it's mysterious in a lot of ways. It's mysterious to me in that, number one, why in the world would God choose that path? Because it's made up of who? People. People mess up. People don't do what they should. Is this really the best plan? I, I mean, God thought it was. This plan, this this mysterious plan, and listen, it's somewhat mysterious to think that the the body of Christ, people, people watching online, people who are in person, people who think differently, act differently, live differently, that all these people are part of God's family. All right. And so there is some mysterious uh, nature to the church and we can't completely understand it. Why would people who wouldn't normally like each other, who wouldn't normally hang out, who wouldn't normally all these differences come together? It's mysterious. They come together because of God. There's another word that not, it's not this word, but I'm going to use a word some people don't like, but I'm not going to let it be hijacked by the people who use it. If you look at it and you go through and you read, he says right here that in verse 5 that God did not reveal His plan to previous generations, but now He has revealed it. And he goes down and he says um, <clears throat> that he was a chosen to explain this uh, later on down in verse 9, and different people haven't gotten it at different times. And the point here is God's plan is somewhat progressive. That's the word people don't like. They don't like progressive because they've made it political. I'm not going to let them hijack it. 
All that means is progress. And that's God is in the business of progress. He wants you to progress from where you were to where you are to where you need to be. So like if you're not progressing, if you're not as a church member, as a church whole, if we're not progressive in the sense that we're progressing to understand God better, to accomplish His will more, then we're doing what? We're regressing. There's nothing about the gospel that is regressive. It is progressive. Now, I don't attach political nonsense to it. I'm talking about progress and becoming more of who God wants you to be. Let me ask you this, whether you're here, whether you're watching this online. As a member of the church, and I don't mean Pineville Christian Church, even though that's great, of God's church, from the day that you chose to be initiated into His kingdom when you went down in that water and when you came up, have you progressed to understanding more about God, to living more for God, doing more of what God wants you to do? Or are you stuck? Or worse yet, have you moved away? The whole point of the church, the plan, is to be progressive. And this is happening individually. It should be happening collectively. And ultimately, listen, the church, universal, should make society better. That's part of our purpose. So now, so the, God's plan is the church. The church is somewhat mysterious. It should be progressive. But not only it's not just an afterthought. It's also eternal. Look right down here in verse 11. It says... He says God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but if you jump at 11, he says this was His what? Eternal plan. So Jesus had a plan to use the church instituted by Jesus Christ from the very beginning. And so God's plan is mysterious, it's progressive, it's eternal. And it's the church. Look, don't get discouraged when you look at the world. It's easy to get discouraged. And it's easy to get discouraged when you look at the world. And the reason is because it's easy to get discouraged when you look in the mirror. Because you'll let yourself down. You let other people down. And you are a part of the problem. But guess what? You're a part of the solution too. That's the nature of the church. Is if we have given our life to Jesus Christ while we participate, agitate, and continue on the problem, we're also the solution. And we become the solution as we progress in our understanding and our living out of the message of Jesus Christ. So Paul's God's prisoner because he he's completely sees everything as falling under the sovereignty and the authority of God. And he's been chosen to reveal God's plan to everyone. And God's plan is the church. Now the plan comes with, number three, a promise. We see here God's promise. And what does it say is in verse 6, we to enjoy the promise of blessings. You know, you know, God gives us a promise that when we when we become a part of His church, He's going to bless us. He's going to now. Don't misunderstand and think that means you're just going to get money, because money may be a curse. You know, material things may be a curse if you don't know how to use them. He's going to give you blessings. And so blessings may come in the form of people. It may come in the form of, of not having certain things. But you can enjoy the promise that if you trust in Christ, 
He's going to give you blessings in your life. Now, if you've given your life to Christ and you're not living in all these blessings, the first thing you got to do is just analyze, is my perspective wrong? Start with that. Am I looking at for the wrong things in the wrong places? What's the old song, looking for love in all the wrong places? You know, some people, I, I've had people tell me, I, I'm looking for pastor, I'm just looking to get married. Well, what are you doing? I'm going to this bar, I'm going out to do that. I'm like, well, you ain't going to find, you ain't going to find exactly what you're looking for there. You know, are you are you praying about it? Are you thinking about it? And, and But we're all doing that, right? We're looking for things in the wrong places. And usually it's because what? Our perspective is not right. And so we got to know that He has blessings for us. There's another little phrase that we see down here that I really like in verse 8. He says that He wants the privilege of telling the Gentiles, listen to this, about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Man, I tell you what, I like the thought of that. There are endless treasures available to those who are in Christ. Now, I think some of those treasures are realized here. You know, I've heard people tell stories of how, how this relationship is such a treasure to them or how they really treasure this experience in their life. But guess what? I think there are treasures available to those who serve faithfully here who are going to receive endless rewards for what they have done while on, in the, on the earth. So God has given us this promise. Now, how do we accomplish His plan? How do we live out His promise? Well, there's the number four. We got to do it not in our own power, but in what? God's power. God's power. And there's a couple of things He says right here. What does He say? He says in verse 7, by God's grace and His what? His mighty power. Listen, do you and I live each day with the power of God? I don't. Sometimes I want to use my own power. I'm doing my best. And and don't get me wrong. Look, doing your best is better than doing less than your best. But doing your best isn't nearly as good as doing God's best. So remember, we're progressing. Now, if you're just doing nothing, well, you way down here. You're regressing. Start off doing your best. But then guess what? Move quickly to doing God's best with your best. And you'll be amazed at what happens. But do it under God's power. His power is what? It's mighty. I like that. Do you feel mighty? I mean, you remember Mighty Mouse? Mighty Mouse. I'm not going to sing, but he came to what? He came to save the day. Listen, listen, are you, do you feel like Mighty Mouse? That if you come into the situation, whether it's in your relationship with your husband and wife, with your kids, with your work, that you have God's mighty power to help you? Listen, I mean, you know, there's some folks in here today, man, who go to some very probably tense meetings where there's lots of bad news trying to figure out what we're going to do. Do you, do you go into those meetings thinking, man, I've got God's mighty power on my behalf? Half when I speak truth or when I when I share wisdom or whatever. That's what he wants for us. That's what he wants for the church. He wants the church to operate in mighty power to do what? To accomplish his plan. Now it's not mighty power for our own glory. See, that's where a lot of people get tripped up and they use all sorts of things is they want to kind of harness what they believe to be God's power for their own glory or for their own gain. But it's never for that. It's to do what? It's to accomplish His mission is what it says. His, his mission 
to spread the good news here for Paul in particular. You know, I think about the Old Testament story whenever Moses got really frustrated. You know, Moses was mightily used of God. He was a, a conduit for God's power in many ways. The person who goes on the mountain and he goes and gets the Ten Commandments. I mean, this is a significant event in all of, of God's redemptive history of humanity. You, but you remember what happens when he comes down from the mountain? He comes down with the Ten Commandments and he's been gone so long that they do what? They done built an altar or built a calf made of gold. So they've abandoned God's power to, to, to idolatry. Moses in his frustration and his aggravation, you remember what he did? He told me you got to go back and read the story. He got mad. He got mad. He tried to use power for something other than God's mission. He did it another time. Whenever they, when he hit the rock twice, you remember that. And then he, he but guess what? Because he tried to usurp God's power for his own, even his own, what he thought was the right thing. It wasn't how we use God's power. We use it to accomplish His mission. Now, God uses Paul, his prisoner, to accomplish His plan. He gives him a promise of blessing and treasures available in Christ. He gives him God's power. And we see also right here, number four or number five, that, that God has a purpose. Look at this in verse 10. God's purpose in all of this. So in all of this, using the God's prisoner, creating a plan, giving them a promise, giving them power is for this particular purpose. To what? To use the church. Before we even go any further, you realize that's God's purpose to use the church? One of the things that is very hard for me not being able to gather as the church is, is the church is so important. I need church. Like me personally in my life, I need to gather together with people in, in the faith because you know I don't always feel it. I don't. I don't always feel like super excited to serve God. I don't always feel like praying. But you know what happens when I go to church? My feelings kind of come along because what? I get around some of my other people who, who is feeling more empowered that day. I get around people and I see their need. And guess what? When I see their need, I feel good because I might get to help them. I get to use my gifts. So the church, using the church is God's purpose. And so many people are trying to be AWOL Christians. Seeing that whole analogy of prisoner, they're on the run. See, they don't. They only show up when it's convenient, or they only show up whenever they got something for them to do, or they don't need that. They can read their Bible at home, or heaven forbid, for an extended period of time. Which is what concerns me about this: is we're going to watch it online, or we're going to listen to it. Which all of this technology I love, but none of that takes the place of what of gathering together as the body of Christ. And so, but His purpose is to use the church, and it's important. It should be important to you. The church is important. And I like the three things that he says in this particular passage. And now there's a lot more in the rest of the New Testament how he describes what the church does. But listen to the three things he says here that God wants to use the church to do. The first one, he says, is to display wisdom. You realize the church is supposed to display His wisdom? I don't know about you, 
But I read about a lot of churches who are not displaying his wisdom. I read about a lot of churches that are displaying their stupidity sometimes or their lack of faith or their whatever. Listen, the church is supposed to display his wisdom. And this is not always super simple, right? You know, throughout this this event that's been going on, you know, part of what we've been trying to do is to display his wisdom as we follow our leaders, as we try to make good decisions to do what we should do to be the kind of person that we should be, and hopefully we're displaying His wisdom in how we do that. As an individual church member, in your life with your family, are you displaying God's wisdom in the way you treat other people? The way you spend money? The way you choose what you do? Where you go? I mean, there's a lot for us to think about, but this is part of our calling is to display His wisdom. You know, I'm afraid some people, and not just people, some churches are displaying their excess instead of His wisdom. We need to focus on displaying His wisdom. The second thing that He says there about how He wants to use the church is like this, display the wisdom with what? With rich variety. You know, one of the things that's always bothered me as a young person is typically churches are always kind of like homogenous. The same kind of people who like the same kind of things. And and listen, I'm not saying that, that there's a simple solution to that. There's not. Because people who like certain things kind of gravitate to one another. That's just the nature of humanity. I mean, it's not even even with, with good intent, that's the way it is. But do you realize that some of what we're supposed to do is the church is supposed to display rich variety, the variety of Christ. And so that's why, you know, one of the things that I'm excited about is the opportunity that we may have to like kind of forge some new ground in there. How might we be able to to partner and, 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 and do some cooperation with some churches of different races, maybe of some different types and some different styles because I, I want to be a church. I want to be a part of a church that, that displays God's wisdom in rich variety. You know, that's one of the things I love about doing the stuff in the Philippines. You know, when I get the messages back on, you know, on how they how they worship over there and what they do. You know what I'm saying? God's in the variety business. Now, here's the thing. We can't give up doctrinal integrity and we don't give up the truth in an effort for diversity. I'm, I'm understanding all that, but we do have to champion and try to display the variety that we see in the world. You know, some of us, we can't embrace any kind of variety because what? We only like what we like. And if somebody don't like what we like, well, they're, they're wrong. You know, what if everybody thought that way about everything? You know, my kids will recognize this statement because... Sometimes, unfortunately, I run the run the house like a dictatorship. You know, when they say, what are we doing? Whatever I say we're doing. Or we're doing it. Why are we doing it? Because I said it. And look, sometimes I'm joking. Probably sometimes I'm not joking. But at the end of the day, we can't all in a church have that mentality, right? Because we're not dictators. Certainly the preacher's not a dictator, not the worship leader, not the singers. No, Christ is the head of the church. And so we gotta we got to submit our own desires and what we want so that there can be variety of different things. How many churches, think back that you've ever known, that split or there was division or problems because some people just couldn't embrace variety? They had to have it their way. Let me just tell you something. This ain't the sermon today, but in any realm of your life, if something, if you like draw a line in the sand, and it's just got to be this way, and it's not something that's an absolute truth, you should pause because you can get off track. There's got to be room for variety, especially in the church. Now, there's an interesting statement here that I don't know the answer to. All right, what this means, but I want you to listen to it. 
It says about, about the church and God's purpose. He said, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display His wisdom in rich variety. Listen to who it's to. To all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So in some sense, what God is doing in the church is a display to the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And the whole point I want to make to that is this. This is not the only existence there is. You see, everything in the scientific, the physical, and the natural world tells us that you base everything on what you see, you touch, you smell, and you hear. And we gain a lot of information like that. And I would say that that's a really important thing for us to do is to focus on what we can see, touch, hear, and smell, and to gather information. But we can never forget that that's just one element to this world. There's a spiritual realm, and the Bible talks about it as being very mysterious. That's why it's so important as believers that we pray, that we reflect, and that we trust God, because sometimes His power is at work in ways that we cannot see. We don't know why things happen the way they do. We don't know all of the answers, because we don't really have the whole picture, and that's important. But I do know this. I find some satisfaction. Hey, man, the unseen rulers and authorities in this heaven places are looking down to see how is the church doing? How are we doing? How are you doing? Now, the last thing, point number six, we see starting there in verse 12. He says, because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into, number six, God's presence. You know, as we close today, I want you to think about something. Are you boldly, confidently coming into the presence of God. Now this whole idea of God's presence, it's not in our own power. What does it say right there? The only reason that we can be in the presence of God is because of Christ and our faith in Him. Now, this is a little complicated. All right, now I'm challenging you to do some studying on this. So when it talks about God's presence, some would say, well, well, God's everywhere. He's omnipresent, and He is. His presence is all over the place. This right here is a special connection to His presence. It's really more than just location. It's, it's, it's a com- connection, His presence. Are you connected to God? Like, are you really present with what He's doing? Is He present in your life? You know, if He is and you understand Him to be your Father, your Savior, guess what? You can have boldness. You can have confidence. One of the things that I've noticed is the devil and his forces, their primary currency is fear, anxiety, uncertainty. And this world is full of that. Because He is the ruler of this world. Guess what? The more you embrace of God's presence, the more anxiety and fear and uncertainty will leave you. Now, it doesn't mean that the circumstances are all going to be what you want them to be. Look what Paul says right here. Now, he says, don't lose heart because of my trials. He's in prison. All right, he's not saying it's all good. There's a bed of roses. I'm, 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 in, I'm having major trials. Listen to what he says. I'm suffering. Look, I can't tell you a house arrest or being in jail in a Roman prison. You know, in the first century is probably not a good place. There's probably lots of trials. There's lots of suffering. But he says, what? Look, don't lose heart because I'm suffering. Because suffering's a part of all of it. He says, you should feel honored. Why should you feel honored? Because you can have the presence of God in your life. Listen, wherever you are today. 
whatever uncertainty and anxiety and fear is coming around you. Some people struggle more with that. It's the count, it's the flip side of the other pride coin. Some people are boastful and proud and it manifests this way. Just as bad, but the flip side of the same coin is the person who's really so focused on themselves that they allow anxiety and fear to overcome them because both people are doing the same thing. They're looking to the wrong place. They're not looking there, or should I say there, for their confidence, for their boldness to be a part of what God is doing. You know, Paul says he was chosen as a prisoner. If you're a believer, you've been chosen to be God's prisoner. Unfortunately, too many of us are prisoners to something else. Some people are prisoners to drugs. They're prisoners to alcohol. They're prisoners to their sexual desires. And you could go on and on. They have been captured by all of that. Some people are prisoners to their own ambition. That's what governs everything. That's what determines where they go, what they do, their own ambition. Listen, if you want to get on board with God, you got to become His prisoner. you got to sacrifice yourself so that you can be led by Him. The good news is, it's the best capture you'll ever have because when you surrender to him you're going to get all of these promises of blessings and treasures and things that are going to be so much more important than money which is it's such a a a shame that the devil has caused christians to think of blessings in terms of money because money is not going with you. It's one of the most fleeting things that there is. You know, and if you think that I'm going to get blessings and money as part of this promise, sometimes it may be like that, but but that's that's not going with you. True blessings are things that are going to outlive you and that are going to go with you into this next life. God's plan. Are you embracing God's plan? Or are you still on your plan? See, that's a lot of people's problem. They're on their plan. Our mama's plan, our daddy's plan, or the government's plan. I, I, I don't know. Here's the thing. If you want to get to where you need to be, you got to embrace God's plan. you got to embrace His promise. Not the promise of what somebody else said, but what God said. If you want to be successful, you got to do it in God's power. We've talked about that. and you got to fulfill, fulfill His purpose. You know, as we think about what Paul was saying there to these believers. I want us to embrace it for us today. You know, what he's saying is that God has a tremendous plan for us wherever we are. And that plan is to be a part of His church. And His church has been given promises and power and purpose to bring people into the presence of God. You know, as Oliver and the praise team come up to lead us in this song, I want to ask you, wherever you are, whether you're at the house watching it online maybe it's a recording or if you're here is your life characterized by being God's prisoner following God's plan trusting God's promise, walking in God's power, living by God's purpose, and enjoying God's presence? Or if would your life be characterized by something else being in that blank? That you're a prisoner. You're walking by some other plan. Living some other promise. Trying to do it in some other power. 
fulfilling some other purpose. Totally devoid of God's presence. You know, wherever you are, God's presence is there in an omnipresent sense. But He may not be present in your life like He needs to be, or maybe like He once was. As we sing this song, I hope and pray that you would invite His presence to be a very real part of your life.